kitchen blender has a lot to answer for. These days there are plenty of experiments with what you can cram into the jug and then blur into a, a fine emulsion, not all of them entirely edible. It's the ideal lockdown toy, but whilst it might permit all sorts of interesting smoothies, it would be a rather odd mind which decided to try and make one up out of egg white and titanium dioxide. Doesn't sound like it would delight the taste buds. But then again, it might have other uses, not least as a source of innovation. I enjoy writing. Not least because, if I make mistakes, there's a simple set of keystrokes to erase them, and I can start all over again. But it wasn't always so simple. I've still got my typewriter, on which I first started to try and bash words out, and gave up because of the unequal struggle between me and the tangled levers and mistyped manuscripts. But it wasn't just amateurs like me. Professional secretaries had the same challenge, and they were usually measured, and often paid, by the number of words per minute, WPM, that they could type accurately, make a mistake, and you had to go back and start again, load another sheet of paper, and retype everything you've done before, before you made the mistake. The only safe way was to slow down, but that meant your WPM was way down and your pay packet consequently much lighter at the end of the week. Welcome to the 1950s world of office life, and specifically to that of Betty Graham. A single mother, working hard in the Dallas headquarters of the Texas Bank and Trust, trying to earn enough to keep her and her son Michael going. She's done well. She's risen to be executive secretary to the chairman of the board. A grand-sounding title, but she still has to carry out that most essential of secretarial duties, typing. And even though they sent her to secretarial school to improve her skills, she's not too good at it. Typing, or to be more precise, correcting the mistakes she's made by retyping, takes a big chunk of her time and a lot of her emotional energy. The shape of her day can be plotted not just by the sheer number of screwed up balls of paper in her bin, but also by the degree of compression as she's balled them up tighter and tighter in her increasing frustration. And lately things have got worse. In an attempt to increase productivity, the bank has introduced electric typewriters. Replacing those clunky mechanical levers with an electrical system should mean faster typing, always assuming that the right key has been pressed. Unfortunately for Betty, and many other typists like her, being able to hit the keys faster just means she makes more mistakes faster. It used to be that she spent most of her time typing, now much more of it is going on fixing her mistakes. No point in trying to rub them out. The fancy new carbon ribbon in her new machine just meant she'll end up smearing ink all over the page. Better to turn the roller, rip the sheet out, crumple it in her hand and start again. At this rate, she's probably thinking she'll never get home in time to fix dinner for Michael. Thank God he's old enough to fend for himself, though he'll be rummaging through the icebox, opening packages, leaving them out on the table as he makes an after-school snack. If only there were a way to cover up the mistakes, somehow magically clean the paper and type over it once again, this time correctly. 
After all, when she was painting, when did she ever get time these days, but when she was painting, she'd not spend ages rubbing out or throwing away the canvas so she'd start again. She'd just paint over what she'd done wrong, fix it and move on. An interesting idea. And like all good ideas, it stayed with her, running round and round her head as she clocked off from work and hurried home. Later that evening, the table cleared of dishes, Michael doing, she hoped, his homework, she began to play. Took a small brush, mixed up some egg white and a little of her precious white tempera paint in the kitchen blender. Played around until the consistency felt right, and then dipped her smallest watercolour brush into the mixture, and painted carefully over a line of typing on the polite letter informing her that her phone bill was overdue for payment. The black keystrokes faded beneath the white. The page became blank again, ready for someone to type a new line on it. She began to see the possibilities in her idea. It was like a miniature time machine. With her magic mixture, she could paint her way back to the moment before she made a mistake and start all over again. Mid-afternoon the next day, and she was back where she usually was, a pile of typing still to do before she could leave. The mistakes piling up, her waste paper bin already close to overflowing with ruined sheets of half-typed letters. Worth a try, she thought taking the nail varnish pot from her handbag. It didn't take her long to make another mistake, her fingers overstepping themselves as she tried to type faster. But this time, she carefully wound the roller back a few notches, painted over the mistake with the mixture she had in her nail varnish pot, and put the paper to one side to let it dry. Put another sheet in and started a new letter. After a couple of minutes, she picked up the mistaken page and saw her mistyped words erased, the letter ready for her to try again. By the end of the week, she was convinced. The idea worked. She could make mistakes as often as she wanted, paint over them and retype. No one seemed to notice. Her pages were as good as new. She could finish her pile of work early, even manage to leave on time to get home for a celebratory meal with Michael which ought to have been the happy end to the story for Betty Graham, inventor of liquid paper, the correction fluid known and loved by generations of typists and an indispensable staple of stationary cupboards around the world, at least until the word processor finally moved typewriters out of the office. But the course of innovation rarely runs smooth and she had a few hurdles to overcome along the way. The idea had real potential, that much was clear, but it needed a lot of work to turn that potential into something more consistent. She anticipated the idea of early prototyping and pivoting long before the concept of lean startup and minimal viable product were around. She filled empty bottles of nail varnish and began to share them with colleagues at work. They loved her paint-out fluid since it made their lives so much easier. Her bosses, when they found out about her experiments, were not so enthusiastic. But she persevered, and over five years became convinced that she had a product that would sell. So she began marketing it as Mistake Out Fluid, 
1956. She thought about a patent to protect her idea, but the $400 fee for doing so was beyond what her weekly wage packet would permit. She'd need to sell a few bottles before she could do that. One of the first challenges was the formulation. How to perfect the recipe so it was reproducible, had the right mixture of quick drying but good hiding properties. She wrote to potential customers to explain that our lab is working on a faster drying solution. The lab in question being her kitchen table, the equipment, her trusty kitchen blender, and the chemistry specialist, Michael's high school chemistry teacher. But she worked hard at developing the market, sending out samples far and wide, knocking on the doors of stationary wholesalers right across Texas, using up her precious spare time at weekends. And she recruited a staff to help her in the factory as demand picked up, in the form of teenage Michael and his school friends, who worked for a dollar an hour in her garage, filling old nail polish pots from larger ketchup-style dispensers, fixing labels by hand, and cutting the tips of the brushes at an angle to help the spread of the precious fluid onto the paper. Unfortunately, this meant she was pretty tired, and not always able to give her full attention to her day job which is how she came to make a mistake which she neglected to use her product on. She accidentally finished off a letter she was typing with the affiliation The Mistake Out Company. And when her boss came to sign it, he found out. She was promptly fired and so became a full-time entrepreneur in 1958. With nothing now to lose, she gave her innovation her full attention, registered a patent and changed the company name to the Liquid Paper Company. Her hard work paid off. She'd managed to build an enthusiastic user base amongst secretaries who increasingly asked their bosses to buy the fluid. And all that door knocking, trying to persuade stationary suppliers to stock her product, meant that they could meet this rapidly growing demand. She managed to secure major clients like IBM and General Electric, and the business began to grow. As so often with innovation, her ideas soon spawned a series of imitators. In 1958, Tipex correction paper was patented in Germany, but the convenience of the liquid and brush alternative offered by liquid paper soon had Tipex offering their own version in 1965. Innovation moved to look at dispensers, brushes and pens and other ways of delivering the fluid to the surface. And there were improvements to the core product idea. For example, Whiteout dates to 1966 when Edwin Johannknecht was working in an insurance company. He noticed that the correction fluid he was using didn't work well on photocopies, having a tendency to smudge. So, together with a friend, George Klusterhaus, who worked waterproofing cellars and other brickwork, they developed their own correction fluid, introduced as Whiteout WO1 Erasing Liquid. But by 1967, sales of liquid paper were in excess of 1 million units a year and being delivered from an automated production plant. By 1975, she'd outgrown these facilities and moved to a huge headquarters operation in Dallas. In 1979, over 25 million bottles were being made and she was employing over 200 people. But at this high point, she decided to sell the by now very profitable business to the Gillette Corporation, 
for $47.5 million. Sadly, she died just six months later. With the imminent arrival of word processes in the 1980s, you might have thought she was getting out of the business at the right time. No one would need correction fluid in a world of electronic typing. But you'd be wrong. The product category is still doing well and the market still continues to grow. BIC, which makes the Whiteout and Tipex brands, reported in 2019 that correction products increased in share from 5 to 6 to 9% of the global stationary market during the previous years. In part, this is explained by the fact that there are many other uses to which the product can be put. Liquid paper and its lookalikes are still used to cover mistakes, in handwritten schoolwork, for example. And it's an essential tool in the hands of the forger, professional or otherwise, enabling swift photocopyable amendments to official documents. And beyond correction, it has a wider user base. A feature in the Atlantic Monthly reported a thriving user base deploying correction fluid in covering up stains on wedding dresses, retouching cracked floor tiles, preventing solder flowing to intricate places in jewellery making, and enabling blacksmiths to mould complex metal shapes. Not bad for a product originally brewed up in a kitchen blender. One last piece of the legacy is perhaps worth mentioning. Innovation must be in the family blood. Michael, taking his mother's maiden name of Nesmith, grew up, became an actor and musician, and rather famous as the tall, lanky bass player in The Monkees. But although successful, he was frustrated at the show's manufactured image and branched out on his own writing and performing songs. With his inheritance from the company he'd helped his mother to found, he was able to branch out into record production and found his own label. And his big innovation there was in combining audio and video production, putting short films together featuring his own songs and then those of friends. The idea caught on. He sold it to Nickelodeon, who launched a series called Pop Clips, which he fronted. And they eventually sold this successful format to Time Warner, Amex, who developed it into the MTV Network. Mm -hmm.